MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, welcome. Welcome, everybody. So nice to see all your shining faces in here, out there, all around the world. Welcome to The Late Show. I'm your host, Stephen Colbert. Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) it has now been two weeks since Russia began its brutal, illegal invasion of Ukraine. This is a vast human tragedy, and there are no winners in war. But so far, the loser is Russia. They have faced unbelievable resistance by the brave Ukrainian people who have kept Putin for meeting what he apparently thought would be easy military objectives. Where Putin has succeeded is in uniting the entire free world against them. Russia is getting absolutely pummeled with boycotts and sanctions. As well they should. Yeah, they should. As well they should, to the point that they're trying to scare us into dropping them. One Kremlin spokesperson expressed it in this threatening way. The United States has declared economic war on Russia. Thank you for noticing. (laughs) We feel seen. (laughs) And so far, the economic war is having the desired effect. Yesterday, Fitch, which is a a credit rating agency, downgraded Russian securities by six notches to a single C grade. In this case, the C stands for what their money is now worth. Crap. (laughs) The C rating... C note. (laughs) This C rating reflects Fitch's view that a sovereign default is imminent. Russia is about to lose everything. And I crash with a buddy, I guess. (laughs) Belarus better have a big couch, because without a credit rating, the only way they can pay their debt is by holding a garage sale at Lenin's tomb. Every pickled corpse must go. The economy... Is this 1972? Is this 1967 or 1972? The economy has gotten so bad in Russia, some supermarkets are even limiting the amount of flour and sugar customers can purchase. That's going to be tough on the Great Russian Bake Off. (laughs) My signature bake today is delicious brownies. Ingredients are potato. (laughs) And brown... is potato. (laughs) Russian shoppers are also hoarding items from Ikea, H&M, and Zara before they become relics of a bygone era. It's amazing that they think anything from H&M will last long enough to become a relic. (laughs) I think think they come in a Kleenex box. I think there's one wipe. (laughs) Yesterday, McDonald's announced they were temporarily closing all of their locations in Russia That unleashed a frenzy of panic buying. Just look at all the people lining up to get their last taste of special sauce. (laughs) And with the golden arches closing down, Russians are going to have to settle for their local chain, McDostoevsky's. (laughs) Home of their kids' meal, the Box of Sadness. (laughs) Ba-da-ba-ba-da. Life's meaningless. (laughs) It looks like November 11th. Who says, who would that be? Which brother? <laughs> not Alyosha, not Alyosha. 
It looks like all major food brands are rushing for the exits. Yesterday, <laughs> Coca-Cola and Pepsi announced that they will suspend business in Russia. Your move, Shasta. <laughs> Coke is suspending all of their operations, but PepsiCo announced they would continue to sell potato chips and daily essentials such as milk, cheese, and baby formula, to which Russian baby said, are you sure you don't have Coke? Because, <laughs> can you look in the back, you know? Okay. <laughs> Putin is trying to win the PR battle at home by rallying his people around a new logo. Reportedly, the letter Z has become a symbol for Russians who support the invasion of Ukraine. No! No, Putin, you keep your hands off the letter Z! It is one of the most essential letters. It's 40% of pizza. <laughs> the Z symbol. The Z symbol. Pizza fans are here, I guess? I don't know. No, no I'm not asking. Curious. Z, yeah, I guess. The Z symbol started popping up a few weeks ago when it was seen painted on tanks, armored personnel carriers, and other military vehicles along the Russian border with Ukraine. And now some Russians are putting Z stickers on the backs of cars and on Russian billboards. One Russian talk show pundit recently wore a T-shirt with a large white Z, leading many to speculate that this is an orchestrated Kremlin effort to drum up support for the war. It really makes Putin seem desperate. And I'm... Is this true? I'm told we have footage of Russian citizens' response to the campaign. Putin, stop trying to make Z happen. It's not going to happen. Thank you, Comrade Regina. <laughs> Russian hat. It's a hat. It's a Russian, Russian hat. But even though it's all over the place, no one's actually sure what the Z means in this case. Some have suggested it stands for Zapad, which means West, or Zapopedu, which means for victory. But no one really knows because as a letter, Z does not exist in the Cyrillic Russian alphabet. <laughs> and nothing rallies the people like something they don't understand. That's why U.S. Army recruiting posters all use wingdings. <laughs> This is... I think it says, your move, Shasta. I think that's what it says. <laughs> this is upsetting for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is that I was the letter Z in the Sesame Street All-Star Alphabet. <laughs> that's right. I'm Z, officially. <laughs> that's it. Ses that's Sesame Street. That's Sesame Street. That's as official as it gets. So... As Z, I get to define what Z means. And right now, Z stands for Zelensky. Because yesterday... There you go. There you go. Yesterday... Yesterday, the Z-man spoke to the British House of Commons. First, he quoted Shakespeare. Then he moved the room by channeling Winston Churchill. We will fight to the end in the sea, in the air. We will fight for our land, whatever the costs. We will fight in the forests, in the fields, on the shores, in the streets. He knows his audience. He's really tugging on the old Brit strings. His next speech is going to be, as your great wartime transport secretary Thomas the Tank Engine said, you're a wizard, Harry. Chim chimney, chim chim a peppa pig. Bangers and mash for Frodo. For Frodo. 
Gotta throw the photo in there. Gotta throw the photo in there at the end. Zelensky spoke to the House of Commons because, among other things, Ukraine wants more planes, but not just any planes. They're specifically looking for MiG-29 fighter jets, which its pilots know how to fly. That's right, it's different than piloting American jets because in Europe they fly on the left side of the sky. <laughs> now, uh, Poland, Poland, which is next door to Ukraine, has MiGs, but there's a little problem. The Russian Ministry of Defense is warning that if warplanes based in another country were to attack Russian targets, then it could be considered as those countries' engagement in the military conflict. Of course, there's a simple solution. Before you turn them over, take the license plates off the fighter jets <laughs> and file off the VIN. Nobody's... No one knows. File off the VIN. But yesterday, suddenly, the Polish government stunned Washington by announcing they were ready to transfer their 28 MiG-29 fighter planes to a U.S. NATO base in Germany so we can hand them over to Ukrainian pilots fighting the Russians. Thanks, Poland. <laughs> Thanks for that. That's like saying, hey, good news, Boy Scouts. We figured out how to keep the bear from mauling Ricky over there. Carter, come put on this backpack full of salmon and honey. Take this stick and go, go poke him in the eye. Go poke that bear. Go on, buddy. Do it. You got it. Oh, my God. <laughs> Zorro. Punch him in the tonsils! <laughs> we got a great show for you tonight. Coming up, Ambassador Michael McFall. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We got a couple amazing guests tonight. Uh, but yes. before I get to the guests, I want to—I want to say, you know how lucky I feel. One of the reasons I'm lucky to have the show is that I can share the stage with you and the band every oh. night. And what a what a pleasure it is. Because no matter what, no matter what's happening in the world, that is a, that music you do is a force of positivity. Uh, it's beautiful. Um, uh, beauty is truth, truth is beauty. That is all you know and all you need to know. And I'm curious what your reaction is to how moving it is to see the Ukrainian people playing music in the face of this evil. Whew. For me, that's what music is all about. That's the whole reason that it exists in the universe. It, it unifies and, and it gives hope. When, when you play music and you see people gathering just to hear it, they forget just for that moment about what's happening. And it fills them with something that's very good for their soul. That's what music is about. It's a food. It's a food. Yeah, it's food. Spiritual yeah. food. Communion. Yeah. 
Well, John, in just a moment, Danae Benton, Broadway star and star of The Gilded Age, will be out here in just a moment. But first, my guest tonight is a professor at Stanford University who served as the U.S. ambassador to Russia from 2012 to 2014. Please welcome back to The Late Show, Ambassador Michael McFall. Good, good to see you again. Great to be back. Ambassador Michael, how do you like it? Mike's just fine. Mike? Yeah, okay. why not? I, Can I, I, I call you call... Steve? What? No. Okay, all right. I, um, <laughs> I might call you ambassador because I'm a silly man with a stupid show, and these are very serious times, and yes. I'm very grateful that you could be here to try to give us some context of what's happening. Um, how, how long did it... It was two years that you were an ambassador to Russia? Uh, two years in Moscow, but three years at the White House working for President Obama on Russia as well, so five years in the government. Um, I understand that you're in touch um, with people who are in the bunker or wherever Zelensky is. That's right. Right now. And just I hope... 30 minutes ago. You were just talking with some of them. Okay. Texting with them. So with a man standing right next to President Zelensky. So what are you what are you hearing from them? Well two things. Um, first of all, that guy's a, an incredible hero of our times. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I hosted him at Stanford last summer for about five hours. We had, you know, it was a fun time. He, he's, he likes to make jokes, too. I don't know if you know yeah. his, his career. Sex, he played the president of Ukraine in a comedy before he was the president Correct. of Ukraine. Correct. And, uh, um... I don't believe in mixing comedy and politics, but... Uh, okay, anyway. all right. You're not planning to run for Whatever. president? Whatever. Okay. Yeah. He just said it here. He's not running for president. But, um, uh, I mean, he's a charismatic, fun, interesting guy. Uh, you know, I've followed his career for a long time. But to see this transformation is quite remarkable. Ukraine, you got to remember, is a democratic place. They got opposition parties, people that hated him. Things are nasty there. They've all rallied behind him, and he's truly a heroic figure in my eyes. So that's the first thing. They're fighting heroically. They're going to fight to the end. They will one day win. I don't know how long that will be, but they're also frustrated. They're also frustrated. They want, they want more from the yeah, Western powers, and us specifically, obviously. Correct. And but what I, more can we really do? I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm, I, I want to get to that subject. For what, what can we do short of actually getting in the military engagement, to be fighting on the ground with them or in the air? Well, I do not believe that we should go to war with Russia in Ukraine. Uh, so when it's, you know, there's an argument about the no-fly zone, right? That's the latest news right now. That means what no-fly zone is a euphemism for a declaration of war. Uh, that means that an American pilot shoots down a Russian pilot, and that's a declaration of war. So we should just call it that. I think that's a mistake. I don't think we should do that. I support the president. We'd also have to take out anti-aircraft batteries and Correct. stuff like that, right? Correct. You just can't, you just can't fly uh, sorties over there. And the Russians, by the way, have very good anti-aircraft systems. And some of very them are good. in Russia, so we'd have to be bombing in Russia. Correct. Um, so I think that's, that's off the table. I support the president on that. Everything short of that, I think we should do for them. And uh, that means more weapon systems and more sanctions on the Russian economy. So more weapons, more sanctions, that's what they want. I mean, he wants more than that. He wants a no-fly zone. Zelensky says that very clearly, because he wants NATO to be in the, in the involved in the war. And can you blame him? I he's mean, already in the war. He's in the war. His kids are dying. Their children are being bombed by this, this evil man who rules Russia. Um, he wants us to get involved, and that's the difficult space. That, that's his national interest. The president is protecting us. They overlap a lot, but there's some places where they disagree. Um, Zelensky is showing extraordinary bravery. How worried 
should, how, how worried are you for his safety? Very. Because President uh, Putin, when he announced this war, it was a 58-minute speech. So by the way, if you got to give a 58-minute speech to explain what you're doing, that probably means you don't really understand what you're doing. I'm probably the only person to listen to the whole thing. I speak Russian. I'll bet you most Russians tuned out after, you know, minute 50. Um, <laughs> but he said two things. And, and he's a dead serious guy. I've, I've dealt with him. I've met him first in 1991. I've, I've followed his career. And by the way, he's changed. He's changed a lot in that time. But he said two things, and we should listen to what he said. One, I plan to destroy the Ukrainian military. And two, I want to carry out denazification. And what he means by that is to wipe out the government, to kill Mr. Zelensky. Uh, our intelligence has found a hit list of people that they plan to kill, and they are the people that led what the Ukrainians call the, the revolution of dignity back in 2014. I have several friends on that list. And he's dead serious about it. And I just want to be clear. He, when he says denazification, he's talking about a Jewish president, Zelensky, whose native tongue is Russian, whose, whose grandparents fought against real Nazis in World War II. That's what he plans to do. And by the way, they're already killers. They're, they're murderers. They're called Kadyrovsky. Try to say that word. Uh, it's a hard word. Uh, the Kadir, they are Chechen assassins whose job is to to take out assassination. So I'm, I'm very worried for him. I, I admire his courage to stay in Kiev, the capital, uh, but I, I worry for, for him and the people around him. We have to take a break, but when we come back, I will ask Ambassador McFall how this war is playing to the Russian populace. Hey, everybody. We're back with Ambassador Michael McFall. Let's talk about Putin for a moment. As you said, you, you, uh, you've met him many times. You've written about him very often. Is this all just being broadcast out of the back of Putin's head? If Putin wasn't there, would this be happening? No, it wouldn't be happening. I do really think this is about one man and a man who is overreached. Remember, when he was named president or president-elect by then-President Yeltsin. He was an obscure KGB guy. Nobody knew of him. He didn't have a popular base. And had Yeltsin chosen the guy he really wanted, a guy named Boris Nemtsov, um, I think history in Russia would be very different. So this is a big argument in academia. Do structures matter? Do agency matters? I think leaders matter. And I think that will go down in history as one of the worst decisions of the 21st century, choosing Putin to be the leader. Um, and let's be clear, he's been on a good run. He's been, from his perspective, he's been successful at home. He's built the economy compared to what it was in the 90s. And he's not afraid of war. This is his fifth war. Fifth, fifth war. Chechnya, 2000. Georgia, 2008. Ukraine, 2014. Syria, 2015. And I think he just went on a run. He thought history was on his side. And now I think he's overreached in Ukraine. And it kind of reminds me of Leonid Brezhnev, the, you know, one of the last leaders of the Soviet Union, who in the 70s, you know, they also went on a run. That Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, they all fell to the communists. Then Angola, Zim, uh, Mozambique, Nicaragua. It just seemed like history was on their side. And then he just said, okay, let's go take Af Afghanistan. And he overreached. And that was the beginning of the end of the Soviet Union. This feels to me like Putin's Afghanistan. Well, how, 
Do you still have contacts of people in Russia that you used to every talk single to? Day. Okay, every so single day. how is this playing back in Russia? How I know what is being, or at least I have seen examples of how this is being fed to the, the Russian people over official state media, but how is it actually being received? Great question. Not all Russians think alike. I think you, everybody needs to understand that. They have different views and different um, demographics. And to oversimplify, and this might sound pretty similar to our country, the richer you are, the better educated you are, the more urban you are, and the younger you are, the less likely you are to listen to Putin's propaganda. And the exact opposite. So rural people, elderly people, not educated people, uh, they're the ones that listen to Putin's propaganda. And there's a real divide. But among elites, Stephen, I got to say, like I, I, I've, you know, spent. I first lived in the Soviet Union in 1983. I've lived six or seven years of my life, uh, over 30 years there. I'm now on the sanctions list, so I can't go back. And frankly, I wouldn't want to go back right now. It's too scary. <laughs> but um, that society, the elite society that I know, I don't. I don't want to pretend that I know what babushkas in Siberia are thinking. Although I can read, I can see them on TV. I watch, you know, I watch to see what they're doing. They support the war. But across the spectrum of the elites, uh, there is shock. They didn't believe that Putin was going to do this. And then they didn't believe we were going to do the sanctions the way we did. And that doesn't mean people are going to protest. But from there, there are re remarkably protests, given there's a 15-minute, given that there's a 15-year possible jail sentence for protesting. Yes. It's remarkable how many people are, though. Incredible. Incredible courage, given those odds. But, but for every 10,000, and those tend to be younger people, uh, I'm, I'm convinced that there's tens of thousands that are supporting them. We have to take a break, but don't go away. We'll be right back with more Ambassador Michael McFall. Okay, let, let's talk about what the end game of this war is. Not that I'm asking you to predict the future, but let's just start with one simple thing is, is that does Putin, if it really is, the, he's the man motivating <clears throat> all of this, what are his weak points? What are things that could get to him? Do these sanctions get to him? Is there a popular uprising against him? Do the oligarchs turn against him? What are the ways in which Putin himself could be removed from office or be dissuaded from continuing this war? You're right. Uh, I'm not good at predicting the future. Political scientists aren't very good at that. Uh, by the way, I worked five years in the government. The CIA is not very good at it either. Um, you know, revolutions, uh, before they happen, they seem impossible, and afterwards they seem inevitable. So I, I want to say that with humility. I don't know the answer to your question. But I can give you a couple of guesses. One, Putin doesn't have an endgame in Ukraine. Um, so let's say he takes Kiev. Let's say, you know, he captures Zelensky or Zelensky flees, and he, he, he's around all the cities. Then what? He doesn't have the army, he doesn't have the capability to occupy, this is the largest country in Europe, 44 million people. He does not have an army capable of doing that. That's different from between him today and Stalin after World War II. He had millions in the Red Army, Putin does not. Two, he doesn't have an argument for doing it. Whatever you think of Stalin, Stalin was fighting real fascism, not the fake fascism that Putin's talking about. So when they cleared out, they had puppets, communists that would work with them in these countries when they were subjugated. He doesn't have that. So 
my prediction for the long run, I don't know when and if Kiev will fall uh, or the other cities, but I'm certain that the Ukrainians will never stop fighting, either with guns or with acts of nonviolent civic resistance. That will last until the Russians leave, and that will be a daily program. You know, sons will die. They'll be coming back in body bags for, for months or years, and that will be, begin to undermine uh, the war at home, plus the sanctions. They, you know, Putin's turning Russia into North Korea right now. I mean, literally North Korea. He's, he's, they're cut off. He's trying to cut the borders. He's even talking about cutting the internet. Um, and you reported on all the, the companies that have left. Uh, over time, that will, that feeling like we're a pariah state uh, will begin to haunt him. And I think there will be growing opposition, both within the elite and within society. And I look particularly within the, the circle around him, uh, looking for defections, right? Like, like the head of the central bank, right? Uh, that's somebody I know personally. Uh, I can't believe she supports this war. If somebody like that begins to leave, that then opens the door for other elites to say, okay, maybe it's time for us to quit this war. Michael, thank you so much for Thanks being for here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Ambassador Michael McFall, everybody. We'll be right back with Broadway star Danae Benton. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, my next guest has starred on Broadway in Hamilton and The Great Comet. You can now watch her in The Gilded Age. Please welcome back to The Late Show, Danae Benton. Nice to it see you again. Get Thanks old. for coming back. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Nor does it get warm. You might want to put that over your shoulders again at some point. It's all old glam, Hollywood. <laughs> I love it. I love a little burst of sunshine in the winter here. Thanks. Now, um, you're star in the Gilded Age from the creators of Downton Abbey over on HBO, and uh, it was it's was supposed to start like one week after the pandemic began. You guys were all ready to go. Literally, principal photography was supposed to start. March 17th, that so, Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> 2020. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The lost... Yeah. The lost time. How does it feel to have finally have it out there after all this wait? I mean, it's... It's been better than I could have imagined. You know, obviously the world went through so many changes during that time mm -hmm. that I was like, is, is anyone going to want to watch us be, like, shady in corsets? And it turns out <laughs> they really do. And I'm really glad. Love? A little shady corseting. <laughs> exactly. Now, uh, the uh, the incredible Audra McDonald yes. uh, plays your mom yes. in this. And I got to imagine, hard not to be an Audra McDonald fan. Were, were you before you worked with her? I mean, yes, it's mm -hmm. a law. You must be, especially if you <laughs> yes. are especially a black girl in musical theater. Yeah. It's, it's not negotiable. Mm -hmm. Had you met her before you did this? I, you know, I didn't. When I was nominated, I, she hosted an event that I got to attend, and mm. I, I saw her from across the room. I was, like, working up my courage, and I just chickened out, and I didn't introduce myself. And I remember I called my mom crying after, and I was like, I, this was my chance to meet Audra McDonald, and I'm never going to meet her, and I don't know why I chickened out, and the, the moment's gone, and um, now I get to cry in her lap as my mom. <laughs> Audra, and I had no clue. Um, and so it, it's, 
I, the so why'd you chicken out? I want to know why you chickened well, out. Because I've know. chickened out before. I'm curious why you chickened I out. I think it's hard to meet your heroes, like someone you've looked up to for so long. You like want the moment to go perfectly. At sure. least I do. And I, my one goal with this role was I really wanted black women to feel proud when they saw Peggy. And the fact that I get to do it alongside a black woman who made me feel so proud is like, it's just kind of beyond. Well, we have a clip here of the two of you together. Uh, you need to set this up in some way. Tell us what's going on. So Peggy has had a lot of family drama the whole season that you don't quite know about, but um, her and her mom, kind of, her mom like refuses to let the bond go. And mm -hmm. so this is a moment where it seems like Peggy might be letting her back in with some rules. Jim? But what about you? That's what I want to know. There's a lot in your future if you only get out and make it happen. I just know it. You remind me of Mrs. Van Ryan. Yeah, if that's true, then I respect her for it. But what will you do? Stay here, if you'll let me. And continue with my work at the Globe. We may have a problem with your father. I can always move out again. There's no need for fighting talk just yet. I'll say nothing unless he's looking for a fight. But if he isn't, I'll give him one. Perhaps, but right now, could you put down your sword and have some coffee? <laughs> Now, can you explain this photo to me? Because I'm curious what your original goals were. Um, clearly, you always uh, had a love of the limelight, but it, what's going on here? Uh, <laughs> Was this a I, career aspiration? I went through a very serious country music cowgirl phase. Leanne Rhymes was my whole jam. Um, wow. Yeah, I just felt like I could be anything. And at the time, cowgirl was the goal. Wow. Um, I spoke of it in, in um, a beauty pageant once. Is that what this is? Because I've got this. I wasn't sure. <laughs> yes. That is. OK, so here you are. You also, you then was the next dream to be a beauty queen? What well, OK, this? they're kind of connected. The, the, <laughs> this took place at a, at a mall in Orlando. It was called the Little Miss Sunburst pageant. Sure, Yes, sure. the sun. We all know it. There's a theme. Yep. Um, and I, uh, my mom put me into it. My, my grandma, my cousins, my aunties all came. And I think I was the only little black girl in the pageant. And all of the other girls, apparently, we were four. They went up and they were like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they're like, oh, I want to be a princess. And my mom said, like, I strutted across the stage, and I was like, I want to be a cowgirl. <laughs> and <laughs> my grandma tells the story all the time. And then apparently when it was time to announce the winners, all of the other little girls were, like, sitting in their seats. And I was, like, standing by the stage, just, like, ready for my name to be announced. <laughs> and then it was, and I won. <laughs> so, <laughs> OK, so that's a form. So yes, yeah, so that's these a were form connected. of performance right yeah. there. But when, because a lot of a lot of people when they're younger perform on of some course. level. When did it go from like I enjoyed this to this is what I want to do? You know, I dealt with a lot of self doubt just around not quite feeling like I belonged and stereotypes around what black girls can and can't do. And so I felt like my voice wasn't good enough. I was just judging myself and um, just this. The summer before my senior year of high school, I did a production of Aida, and I was like... Wow, that's not easy singing. No, it's not. I was stressed, and I listened to Heather Headley nonstop. And I, I did it, and I just felt this burst of confidence, and I was like, okay, Mom and Dad, actually, I want to go to drama school. And they were like, duh. Like, why do you think we even pay for all these voice lessons and driving you across <laughs> the world? And so it was like they kind of knew of my dream before I really caught up to it, and so I, I felt really supported to just take the leap. And I'm thankful I did. If there was any part that you could just pick right now to play, other than the part you're playing right now, 
what would it be? If you could cast yourself. Oh my gosh. Appropriate or not. Like in other words, like no one's ever gonna cast me. Because I wanna be right. Judas. I wanna be Judas and Jesus Christ superstar, but I'll never be cast <laughs> as Judas and I Jesus see. Christ. I see. Don't superstar. ever say never. I thought never. I'd never play a Russian countess, and like here we are. There it is. You know? But um Tommy Adiemi is turning her incredible book series, Children of Love and Bone. No, mm. Children of Blood and Bone. Yes. Into a film series, and it's like West African mythology. It's giving like I don't know, Harry Potter meets our own African folklore, and I'm like, just let me hold a staff in the background. I, well, <laughs> it's giving good everything, luck. yeah. <laughs> this so, is the first audition. Whoever's casting yes, this, there please, anyone, right I'm there. here. But it's, yeah, Thank some you fantasy. So much for being here. <laughs> Thank you. This has been The Late Show Poncho with Stephen Colbert. If you're enjoying The Late Show Pod Show, leave us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Watch The Late Show with Stephen Colbert weeknights at 11.35, 10.35 Central on CBS and Paramount+. And for more exclusive Late Show content, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Late Show on YouTube. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.